invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The title of the message is The Best Use of Liberty. What, what do you think about when you hear the word liberty? It, it may be you think of a statue. We have in our country the Statue of Liberty. It sits off the banks of the shores of New York and New Jersey. Or you may think of a bell in Philadelphia that has a crack in it, the Liberty Bell. I don't know what you think about when you think of liberty, but you know what? I think at times we take that for granted. I think we take our liberty for granted. As I've already mentioned, your freedom was bought at a price. Your freedom as Americans was bought at a price. In fact, I would say this. I think we all take it for granted at times. One of the greatest reminders of our liberty is to leave the country. And when you go to other countries and see some of the, the non-freedoms that people have. First time I ever le- led, left the country was as a teenager. I went to Jamaica to do a mission trip. And while I was in the country, they had a visitor by a guy named, his name was Castro from Cuba. And I thought, wow, I'm in the same country right now with Castro. Next time I left the country was about 20 years ago. Not quite 20 years ago, but almost. I went to the Ukraine. Went over there to speak to uh, Ukrainian teenagers. And one of the things that interested me while I was there was the number of those people that wanted to move to America. I met one guy, for example, named Nikolai. He was this tall Ukrainian guy. He was in his 20s. Over there, you you were still in the youth group. Until you got married. So, I mean, you could be 30 if you weren't married. You were still part of the youth group. How about that, Trent? In fact, one of them came up. He had a problem. He wanted to get married, but you couldn't get married until you got baptized. The only problem was his church didn't have a pastor right then. So he was saying, would you baptize me? Of course, my first thought was absolutely. And then some of the pastors said, you don't know (laughs) the can of worms you're opening right now. So I said, I'm going to leave that to your people, all right? Nikolai, though, came up to me. He, he told me, I want to move to America. And his view of America was a little, a little strange. I mean, he said, I want to marry a pretty wife, have eight or 12 children. <laughs> and I want to live on the beach. I was like, yeah, you pretty much like everybody. You want to live at the beach. I don't know about the eight or 12 children, but okay. And he told me that his petition, he had sent his application, his plea to an embassy in Russia, in Moscow, to, to be able to immigrate to the United States. And he said, I mean, with tears in his eyes, he said, my, my application has been there for a year, and the embassy has burned. He said, I have to start the process all over again. And then he said this. He said, would you teach me the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag? And so I taught him. I, I wrote it down for him. The Pledge of Allegiance to our flag. He was gone for an hour or two. He came back and stood in front of me like I was some government official or something, put his hand over his heart, and recited from memory the Pledge of Allegiance. And I thought, wow. Because I talked to people over there who had not for long been able to even have services like we were having outside. They used to have to worship in basements of buildings with no sound system. You couldn't risk having a sound system. 
Now, they had churches, but they were government-run and approved churches. And so Christians were meeting underground. Do you realize that still happens around the world today? The privilege that you and I take for granted. We walked in here probably without a thought of the fact that there are brothers and sisters right now around the world that don't have the freedoms that we do. So I want to say this to you. With freedom comes responsibility. Responsibility as your patriotic freedom to our country. But what we're going to see Paul talk about is is also the responsibility we have as Christians. See, we've been given liberty. In fact, the word freedom comes to mind. Freedom. In fact, if you look up the word liberty in the dictionary, one of the definitions is freedom from control, interference, obligation, restriction, hampering conditions. Power or right of doing, thinking, speaking according to choice. It's freedom. I just want to share with you this morning, we have responsibilities for freedom, both as a good citizen, but also as someone who's trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. I just want to tell you at the outset, one of the things I want to unpack for you this morning is just how to share your faith. And so if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hear that this morning. If you're here and you say, you know what, I, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I don't know how to tell somebody else. I'm going to give you just some simple steps of how to tell somebody else what Christ has done in your life. And I want you to think about this. Who's the person that told you? It may have been over your period of your life that several people kind of, you heard about the gospel. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a minister or several ministers. Maybe it was a friend. But I want you to think for just a moment. Somebody told you. How did you, if you're a Christian, how did you come to faith in Christ? Look at what the Apostle Paul then says. Just begin by reading just the first few verses. Chapter six, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 16, 17, and 18. Just follow along. Here's Paul. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul begins verse chapter 9. And in case you're here every week and you're thinking, wait a minute, you skip, verse, skip the whole chapter, 8th eight chapter. The 8th chapter leads into the ninth chapter, obviously, but the point he make, makes in the 8th chapter is don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Have we got that one? That was chapter 8. And some of you on Wednesday are going to grill some meat sacrificed <laughs> to, to a gas grill, okay? I encourage you to do that. Invite me over, all right? But Paul talks about that, and then he begins talking about his rights. And he begins chapter 9, really, with, you, you know, what is it about you people are trying to remove? Don't I have the same rights as others? Paul says, you know, I'm a believer. Beyond that, I'm an apostle. An apostle was somebody who had seen Jesus. Now, Paul was not one of the original 12. He didn't walk with Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, but Paul had an encounter with the living God on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus, and so he was counted among the apostles. 
And so Paul builds up a case. I've got a right. I've even got the right to earn my living from this. But you know what Paul did in Corinth? He didn't take money from them. He had a tent-making side job, but he also received offerings from other churches so that he wouldn't be handicapped in his ministry among the Corinthians. So Paul says, listen, if I preach the gospel, and here's what the gospel means. It means good news. In fact, the word that Paul uses, if I preach the gospel, it's just one word put together. It means to herald the good news. Now, why do we struggle with telling people good news? You know something about human nature? Bad news travels faster than good news. Do you know that? It, it just does. Well, Christians, we've got to get over that. What we have is good news, so let's tell people about it. So Paul says, if I preach the good news, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I have absolutely nothing to do with the giving or the content of the gospel. I can't boast about it. A few minutes ago, we acknowledged that tomorrow is R.C.'s birthday. And you know what we did? We clapped. He had nothing to do with that. He, had, he has no, he can't boast about the fact he's alive. Okay, that's because his parents can boast about that. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, I can't boast about the fact that I preach the gospel. It's not my gospel, it's the gospel of the living God. And so I can't boast about that. In fact, who was Paul? If you think about it, Paul's name had been changed. His name used to be Saul. What did Saul do? He persecuted Christians. And so here's Paul now saying, hey, I'm preaching the gospel, but I, don't pat me on the back. There's nothing that I can boast about because for a good part of my life, I wasn't preaching the gospel. I was trying to stamp it out. Paul chased people and brought them back to Jerusalem to be punished. In fact, he was there when Stephen was killed. In fact, he said, I'm under compulsion to preach the gospel. Let me be real clear. I don't believe that Paul, I think Paul's call to ministry happened real close after his salvation. But what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus was salvation. And I hear some people say, well, I, you know, I think God's calling me into the ministry, but I'm still waiting on my Damascus road experience. Well, if you're waiting on God to slap you down on a dirt road and make you blind, that's about salvation, not about call. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a little bit. God, I believe, unpacks the call for Paul a little bit after that. But Paul says, I'm under compulsion to preach the gospel. In fact, I love the literal meaning of the word for compulsion. It means constraint, but it means your arm is curved. When I was studying that this week, the picture I got was this. You ever, you ever had somebody come up behind you and just take your arm and just, you know. Now, if you're being put up against a police car, that's a bad thing, but. You ever had somebody do that? That's what Paul's saying. Listen, for me, I'm under compulsion to preach the gospel. Paul would identify with Jeremiah. You ever read the Old Testament book of Jeremiah? Listen, Jeremiah wasn't happy about preaching the gospel. Chapter 20. I mean, it gets up to about chapter 20. He's complaining. He comes this close to blaspheming God. Jeremiah says, even my friends are hoping that I stumble. My friends are excited when I trip up. Every time I, I tell them about God, it's just like they're making fun of me. And he said, basically, I wish I'd never been born. 
And then he says this, chapter 20, verse 9. He says, but you know what? If I tried to keep it in, I couldn't. It's like a fire in my bones. I can't contain it. i got to tell people about it. That's what Paul says. I'm under constraint to tell the gospel. Why? Because it's good news. In fact, he says, woe to me if I don't preach. <laughs> woe to me. Literally, that word is an exclamation of grief. It indicates impending pain. My wife has a, a word she uses, like if something drops on her toe or she hits her finger with a hammer or something. She gets it from her dad. There's a word they use if they hit their finger with a hammer. And it's not the word you may be thinking. But it's real close to how you pronounce this Greek word for woe. It, they will say, ooh. Ever heard anybody say that? Well, the Greek word's a little different, but that's, that's kind of what... Here's what I want you to say. I want you to think about, ooh. <laughs> that's what Paul's saying. If I didn't preach the gospel, oh, there's pain coming because I've been compelled to preach the good news. Woe to me if I don't herald from the rooftops the good news. He said, in fact, if I do it voluntarily, I receive a reward, literally a pay for services. I receive a reward. But if against my will, then there's been a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul says, against my will. What does, he, what does he mean? Does Paul saying this is not something I want to do? No, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this wasn't my idea. And if you've ever sensed God calling you to ministry, one of the questions you've got to answer is, whose idea is this? When I have a young person come to me and say, I feel like God's calling me to ministry, I'll say this, if you can do anything else, do it. Because if you've truly been called by God, then you can't do anything else. Now, I know a lot of you kind of cynically are thinking, yeah, most preachers aren't good for anything else. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Don't go back home and tell your preacher that. But Paul is saying, if voluntarily I have a reward, if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul understood the stewardship. Do you get that? Stewardship it comes from a word that meant you're in charge of a household or you're in charge of an estate. And Paul is saying, I've been handed the good news of the message of Jesus. And so all I am is a steward of that. I want to be faithful. Paul is saying, he's indicating that someone has given him a responsibility. Here's what the word means. It means given a responsibility by somebody who values what it is they've turned over to you. What are we telling people when we share the gospel? We're telling them about Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And I'm just a steward of that. It's not my message. It's God's message. In fact, he said, I, I do it without charge. I'm not making full use of my right. Earlier in the passage, Paul's saying, I'm really worthy of my labor here. You should be paying me. But Paul's saying, I've removed that off the table. I'm not, ta I'm not making use of my rights. Let me just share a few thoughts with you on that. The essentials of the gospel. When you boil it down, what is essential? What is the essential of the gospel? And you may think of two or three things. You may think of ten things. I got one thing. God. That's about as big as we can make it and still get it on the screen. 
I want you to hear that. Let that resonate for a minute. Listen, if you're going to share Christ with other people, there's one essential. It's God. It's not you. There used to be a sign in Merle's Inlet that said, God needs you. And, and maybe whoever put it up had a better idea than when I first read that. I thought, no, he doesn't. It's really better than that. God wants you. He doesn't need you. If I fell off the planet tomorrow, the kingdom of God is not shaken. He doesn't lose an ounce of glory. His kingdom doesn't falter. I don't add something to it. Here's the good news. He wants me. <laughs> That's even better. A God who needs nothing wants me. So once you get that in your mind then, i got five quick things for you. First one is this. Question, are you sent? Have you been sent? Answer, yes. Look at Romans chapter 10. In fact, I want you to do this. If you want to turn over to Romans, keep your finger or your little ribbon there, your little bookmark. But I want, you, I want to show you through Romans a simple way to share the message. And this is not, not it yet. I'm going to get to the verse in just a minute. But I want to start with your call to ministry. Romans 10, 14 and 15. Talking about people calling on the Lord. How will they call on Him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And in case you leave here thinking today that the message of the gospel is left to the preachers. Evangelism is going to take place only because of our preacher. No. Listen, your preacher's job is to prepare you to tell others the good news. Not just to have a place where you can get everybody to come. You've got to come hear our preacher. He's got, you know, preacher, what are you talking about this Sunday? Well, I need to have somebody there. No, it's not about that. Let's don't make celebrities out of men of God that are preaching the Word of God. My greatest role is just to prepare you. Are you sent? Yes. How will they hear? Unless they have a preacher. And let me just say that words are necessary. People misquote St. Francis of Assisi. I want you to hear this. Julie Zimmerman, in her article, Sorting Out the Truth About St. Francis of Assisi, writes that most people used his statement, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words to de-emphasize preaching. However, she argues that he never used those words, but actually made the argument that preaching carries responsibility and every sermon must be supported in the preacher's life. In order for somebody to come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to have to hear the message of the gospel. Now, your life better back that up. Because I promise you, if what they see in your life doesn't square with what they're hearing from your mouth, they're going to believe what they see more than they believe what they hear. They're not going to care what you've got to say if your life doesn't square with the message. But words... Are essential. Are you sent? Yes. If you're a child of God in this place, then you're sent. Now, I want to share simply with you how to do that. So if you've got your Bible open, the book of Romans, an easy way, I've, I've done this, just in the first page of Romans, write this verse. And then what we're going to do is throughout Romans, we're going to write some verses down. Write down the verse 3, 23. 
Okay, so all you have to do is open to Romans, and you know, all right, I need to turn to Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 then says this. My point is, people need to know they're separated from God. They need to recognize they need a Savior. Folks are not going to come to Christ until they recognize their needs. Roman, their need. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means that everybody in this room has sinned. What does sin mean? Sin simply means missing the mark. That's the theological definition of the word sin. It means that anything we did to try to reach the glory of God, build the Tower of Babel, jump real high, run real fast, doesn't do it. And in case you've been brought up kind of, you're a recovering legalist, and you're thinking, I'll somehow achieve God's glory by my effort, you cannot. It's impossible. In fact, I almost want to say, if you're not tired of trying harder, then try harder quick. Get to the end of yourself to realize you need a Savior. So folks need to recognize their need. Second thing, folks need to understand that they're separated from God. So outside the margin there, Romans 3.23, right? Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But then it goes on. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What, what does that mean? The wages of sin is death. If you work, you earn something. It's called a wage, it's called pay, it's called salary. What Paul is saying here, what we earn from our sin. Now, how many people have sinned? Thank you for participating. All of Some of you just raised your hand to acknowledge you're one of them, okay? We've all sinned. Me, you, everybody. Has anybody ever lived a sinless life? One person. Jesus. So anybody before Jesus or anybody after Jesus? No, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So what's our reward? What's our pay for sin? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean? That means because of Jesus, He died in my place. As I trust Him as my Savior, I'm forgiven. Chances are I will die. If Jesus doesn't come back first, I'm going to die. But it's a physical death. In fact, I believe the moment my eyes close on earth for the last time, I'm in the presence of God. Just that quick. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's because of the free gift. Now, how much does a free gift cost? I've, I've talked about this before. We don't get free in this country much. I mean, you know, there's two donut places within a half mile of here. And I don't want to I don't want to endorse any, but there's one over here. I'll just give you the initials. KK. They have free donut day. And my family's figured out if you drive about twenty miles up there, you can hit about four donut places on the way and get your free donut at every one of them. Free donuts. What do you have to do at Krispy Kreme to get a free donut? All you gotta do is show up. I want my donut. There it is. Now the other one it rhymes with Unkin. They have free donut day. And it says it, big sign, big letters, free donut. The problem is there's fine print. 
with the purchase of a small coffee. Now, is that free? No. Why isn't that free? Because you've got to buy something. If you walk in, I want my free donut. Okay, that'll be 99 cents. Well, I don't get that. Okay? So here's what free means. Free means you pay nothing for it. Nothing in your hands you bring simply to the cross you cling. You, you didn't pay for it, but it was paid for. How do we get the free gift? It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He paid for it. God paid the price. Outside of Romans 6.23, write Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this, But God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That means that the price was paid before you were good. God loved you even when you didn't love Him. He loved you first, and he proved it. He demonstrated it. By dying on the cross for us, even while we were yet sinners. And then right out from that, write this verse, Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 9, and we'll also do verse 10. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, some people want to say, all you got to do is believe. You know what? The demons believe and tremble, but they will not confess with their mouth that he's Lord yet. You know what? There's coming a day when they're going to have to confess with their mouth. You know that? Philippians chapter 2, one day every knee will bow. Everybody's got a knee. I'm assuming demons got a knee, but if they don't, they're still going to have to bow. They're going to have to acknowledge something they've never been willing to acknowledge. Satan himself, who's tried to deceive you all of your life, will one day have to acknowledge Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Not hope so, some people are going through life thinking they got a 50-50 chance. I've heard that. Does it come down to a coin toss in heaven? No. What does it come down to? What have you done with Jesus? Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let me be real clear. It's not going to be about how many churches you're a member of. Now hear me. Is being a member of a church a good thing? Yeah, it's just not enough. It's not memorizing Scripture. It's not going on mission trips. It's not wearing Christian T-shirts or having a fish on the back of your car. Nothing wrong with any of those things. They're fine. They're just not enough. The only thing that is enough is the cross, and you can't add anything to it. It's just Jesus. Well, that's the highest value. Let me quickly look at the lowest value. Paul saw himself as a slave. Paul was a slave to that message. Now, i got to tell you, Paul was a zealous non-Christian. Back when his name was Saul, there was nobody more zealous at bringing, not, bringing Christians back for persecution. But after his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, nobody was more zealous for bringing people to faith. And yet Paul said, you know what? 
Let me, let me read the passage, verses 19 through 23. Get back to 1 Corinthians. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. Though not being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I might by all men means save some. I do all things. For the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. And that sounds a little confusing. Let me just simply say that Paul says, I'm making myself a slave. To be a Hebrew, if you're a slave of another Hebrew, you only serve for six years. And after six years, in the year of Jubilee, you were given your freedom. But some Hebrew slaves would go to their master and say, You have treated me well. I want to remain. So you would be taken out to the gate to the city where the elders met. And you would declare that before God and everybody. They'd take you over and drive a nail through your ear. You'd be marked for the rest of your life that you've willingly become a slave to this master. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I have voluntarily given up my rights. For the sake of the gospel. In fact, you know how serious he was? Verse 15, he said, I would rather die than to compromise the gospel. So Paul says to the Jew, I became a Jew. What what does he mean? Paul never compromised the message. Paul never compromised the truth of the gospel. But he first went to the Jews. And you know where he would go? Read the book of Acts. He'd go to the synagogue. As soon as he got to town, he'd go to the synagogue and meet with the Jews. Those under the law, still talking about Jews, he said, those under the law, I became as under the law. As far as I could go with that, in fact, Timothy, Paul had been a part of the Jerusalem council that had said circumcision is not essential, it's not necessary, don't do it, to come to Christ. But when he took Timothy with him, he had Timothy circumcised. That didn't bless Paul, and I'm sure it didn't bless Timothy. Why did he do it? Because he wanted Timothy to be able to preach to the Jews. And they wouldn't hear him if he was uncircumcised. To those that aren't under the law, literally, to the Gentiles, I became as a Gentile. What did Paul mean by that? Did he mean that he just became lawless? No. But it meant without compromising morals, without compromising the gospel, he did things that he would have never done as a Jew. For one, he ate with Gentiles. He had fellowship with them, talked to them. Why? For the sake of the gospel. To the weak, I became weak. The word literally means strengthless. But what does Paul mean? To those who don't understand, I put it on their level. Let me just say to you, if you've grown up in church all the time, this one may apply to you more than any of them. We can use words in church that people that don't know the Lord, sometimes they don't understand words like lost and saved, born again. They sure don't understand redeemed, sanctified, justified, all those other words. Now, is it okay to use those words? Yeah. Just explain what you mean. Put it on their level. Understand something that they don't, maybe they don't know all these words that you've known. Be careful about using religious cliches. Paul said to the weak, I became 
week. But he did all things for the sake of the gospel, that he would be a fellow partaker of the gospel. He's inviting you to be a fellow partaker. When we share the gospel, we become a fellow partaker with Paul, but more than that, with Jesus. Then the last point, and I'm done. About out of time. Paul says, value the lasting prize. Paul uses this phrase a lot in 1 Corinthians. I almost get a picture. He's kind of hitting him on the head. McFly, hello. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's saying, run so that you win. We got the Olympics coming up this month. The Olympics were taking place back during the days of Paul. But I think the games that he was talking about were games called the Isthmian Games. They took place in Corinth every three years. Athletes would train for three years, and the last ten months of that training, they trained in Corinth every day. So people knew what he was talking about and said, I run to win. Listen, you didn't train that hard to get in the race and not win. I'm, they didn't have, like, news report. ESPN wasn't back there. It was like, how do you think you're going to finish? I'm just shooting for third. I just want to beat the last guy. You know, if there's 19 people in the race, just so I'm 18, that's fine. No. They all worked hard. Why? Because they wanted to win. And Paul says, run so that you win. Here's the good news. As a Christian, we're not competing against each other. We don't have to play those spiritual comparison games. Well, I'm better than he is, better than she is. No. We're not competing against each other, but we are competing our competition is, is against forces and principalities that are unseen. Obstacles that are physical, spiritual obstacles. And so Paul's simply saying, listen, buckle up. Get in the race. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Run so that you win. He said back in those games, they had this pine wreath. Literally, they would weave together. And that was what you got. Wasn't a big paycheck. It was amateur athletes. But when they put that wreath on your head, you were somebody. It was an indication that you had won, and everybody in town, notoriety came with it. But Paul says that's that's a perishable wreath. That wreath is going to decay. That's what the word perishable means. It means decaying. He said we're not running for that wreath. We're running for an imperishable wreath. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. Men and women, listen. The race is hard. The training is difficult. In fact, when Paul says, I discipline my body, the word for discipline literally means to give a black eye. Paul says, I buffet my body so that I won't be disqualified. But I want you to remember, there's a crown of righteousness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And into you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's what we're running for. Run so that you win. Run so that you receive an imperishable wreath. Paul says, I buffet my body. I discipline myself so that I'm not disqualified. Can I just say in closing, the greatest reward you're going to receive is when you see Jesus and you hear him say, well done. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that that would be the motivator. God, may we never share the gospel purely out of obligation or out of shame. God, may we tell other people about Jesus because of the joy of the good news and to recognize that we are servants of the Most High God and that one day we get to hear Him say, Well done. Father, I pray for us this morning, Lord, if there's someone in this room that has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've heard the gospel message, so, God, for them, there's not some magical prayer. It is simply coming to you and saying, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm separated from you. But today I place my faith in Jesus, who paid the penalty for my sin. Would you please forgive me and come into my life? to be my Lord and Savior. God, for others in this room, Lord, would you make us ambassadors of the gospel? Not waiting on somebody else to do it, but God, prepare us and then put us in circumstances and situations to tell other people the reason for the hope that's in us. We pray this in Christ's name.